Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, glorious day. So, so awesome. Hey, I have a question for you. Um, I'm wondering if there has ever been a time when you felt like you just didn't fit in, you know, where you, <laughs> you sort of feel like you're the sore thumb, and uh, that's a very, very uncomfortable feeling. Um, I think the pinnacle of not fitting in for me uh, was a while back, um, I took my daughter, she was only two years old at the time, uh, to a mommy and me class. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Um, you see, my wife, Terry, worked part-time, and she worked in the mornings, and then I would take care of Sierra, and then when she got home, I would go off to work. And so uh, my wife had this wonderful idea that she thought that um, Sierra needed a little more you know, socialization with kids her age, and of course, then there's this class and it's only offered in the mornings. And so I showed up at Mommy and Me. <laughs> and as you could probably tell, I didn't quite fit in. Uh, it was a little bit awkward. And if you can imagine, oh, I forgot to tell you this, that this was also in South Orange County. <laughs> and so here I show up, and there are all these Barbie moms, you know, standing there with their manicured nails, their Gucci shoes, and their designer yoga pants. And they're toting their beautiful little children in their oshkosh bagosh outfits, you know. And I show up, and I'm in my jeans and T-shirt, and I'm sitting on the floor. And, of course, my daughter decided that she had to dress herself that morning. <laughs> so we're looking like we're Mr. Green Jeans and Bozo the Clown. So we sit in this circle, you know, all the mommies and, and, and their kids. And we start to sing these silly little songs, you know. And we're singing, and I'm joining in, of course. And I'm getting this stink eye from this little girl sitting next to me because I'm singing too low. <laughs> so I had to kick it up a couple octaves, you know. Here we are together, mommy and me. You know. <laughs> and it just got worse from there because after that, they send the kids out to the playground, right, with the, with the worker. And all us mommies got together, sat in these tiny little chairs in a circle and did mom talk, which we were talking about postpartum depression, hormones in your husband. I mean, 20 years of my life were sucked out of me right there. I, I lost my man card. I lost my dignity. I'm still in therapy over all of that. I just didn't fit in. And uh, there's a reason why when we don't fit in, it's so painful, you know? It's because we want to fit in. We want to feel part of a community. We want to be connected together. That's the way that God made us. And the longer that we're isolated, you know, or sometimes even we're pushed out of community, you know, or bullied out of community, the pain can be just excruciating. I think we saw that even just this last week. I couldn't believe it to hear about that 12-year-old boy that brought a shotgun to his school um, and shot some of his classmates. It's a deep pain. In fact, sociologists are concerned about something that they call crowded loneliness, it's the idea that so many of us are in groups and crowds, but yet we never feel any sense of belonging or connectedness to one another. Research by the Gallup Institute found that seven in 10 people don't know their neighbors. We've got hundreds of Facebook friends, but not one true close friend. We've got all these gadgets and technology where we're hyper-connected, you know, connected all over the world, and yet we've never been so disconnected in our entire lives. Take a look at this video.
It's not. It's not. I don't think it's real. I think if I tried that, my wife would hit me with a nightstand. It just wouldn't go over really well. I don't know about you, but it just seems like that's becoming more and more common. You know, you go to a restaurant. My wife and I were at Chipotle recently, and we're watching this family sitting together. And they're all there, but they've all got their faces in their phones. It's just maddening. The, the, one of the oddest things I ever saw is two, you know, preteen girls sitting next to each other. And rather than talk to each other, they're texting each other. They're sitting right next to each other absolutely crazy. See, we all need relationships. Relationships are so important. They're part of what validate our humanity. They're part of, of what gives us you know, wholeness and meaning in life. And yet even more than relationships, we really need connection and we need community, community together. And so we're going to look at this today about how relationships are so important. And so I'm going to encourage you, take out your outline real quick. And one of the first things we're going to talk about is the reasons that we need community. And the first one is this, that God designed us for community. See, God created us in his image so that we could enjoy community and fellowship with him. And God himself, he exists in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a relational being. Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, not only that, we're not only created to be in relationship with God, but we're also created to be in relationship with one another. You know, when God made the first man, one of the first things he said is, it's not good for man to be alone. Some of the brothers are saying, amen. (laughs) Genesis 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. See, God didn't create Eve because Adam was lonely. You know, he's seen the giraffe and the other elephants walk by and went, oh, I'm so lonely. God created Adam in his own image. God is a relational being. Man was created from the very beginning for relationship. And so Eve was created as a companion, as his community together. The way we were designed was to live in community with one another and to community with God together. And that's the real devastation of sin, see? 
That sin separates us from God, but it also alienates us from one another. And the great thing about the redemption of Jesus Christ, when he died for our sin, to pay the penalty for sin, is he provided the way to God so that we could be part of God's family again. We're no longer separated from God. And so that we could be restored and receive the grace from him to begin to restore our relationships with one another. We receive this great gift when we believe and trust in Christ to forgive our sin. And it transforms us. In fact, point two here is that when we believe, we also belong. We also belong. When we receive Christ, we're adopted into God's family. And we're not just believers, but we're also belongers. <laughs> we belong to the family of God, which is called the church. Now, you see, in the New Testament, the word church doesn't mean a building. The word church means people. It's a community. The church is the uniting of you and of me and of God together in a family. Great verse in Ephesians 2.19. So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Isn't that awesome? Now, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, that we are in Christ. Wow. And that together we become the body of Christ. You see, we are Christ's hands and feet and his witness here in the world. And get this, not only do we belong to Christ, but it also says that we belong to each other. (laughs) So look at this in Romans 12, 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Hmm. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that we are connected and interdependent, just like the various different parts of the body are. Some of you are the eyeballs, right? Some of you are the ears. Some of you are the heels. (laughs) But we're all connected together, and we need each other. And so just like if, if our hand were to become cut off, You know, if it wasn't connected to our body, it would shrivel up and die. And you see that we are vitally connected spiritually together. And it's through that connection that God works in us and through us. See, we're members of God's family. And we actually have family responsibilities toward one another. (laughs) Now, I realize that for most of us, that's like... That's not at all the impression of church that we have, right? Most people, you think the common everyday person, when they think of church, again, they're thinking of a building or an event that you go to, something that you attend, that you're inspired by. But the Bible says that church is a relationship and that to be in Christ is to live in the vital communion of God and his people. So when someone receives Christ, they are adopted into God's global family of believers, And as you can probably imagine, um, we're not going to feel very closely connected to billions of people across the world, right? And so God encouraged us to get involved with a local assembly of believers called the local church. But as we all know, um, we can become and come and go in a church and never even be recognized. No one even know that we're here. God encourages us that to truly belong, we need to be connected to a small group of believers and experience biblical community together. Pastor Rick Warren said it this way. 
we believe, then we belong, and then we become all that God wants us to be. So point three is this. It's when we belong that we become. See, being connected in community together, what it does is it, it invites an opportunity for God to transform us and make us more like Christ as we function like Christ to one another. That's that, in, that, that connection that we have. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6 says this. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there's one body and one spirit, just if you've been called to one glorious hope in the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who's over all and in all and living through all. Do you think he's trying to make a point here? (laughs) I mean, there is a vital union that he wants us to live in, and he wants to work through in a powerful way. You may have heard of a guy named Sir Edmund Hillary, or maybe not. Uh, He was the first guy to ever um, scale and get to the top of Mount Everest. And he wrote this book, and it's called High Adventure. It's a great name for a book when you're scaling Mount Everest. This is what he said in that book. He says, it'd be foolish to attempt Mount Everest by yourself. You can't do it without a small group. He said it'd be suicidal to attempt to get to the peak by yourself. You need a group. And I don't think it makes much more sense that we think that we can accomplish spiritual transformation in our life on our own. I mean, do you? You see, when we pursue the goal of becoming like Christ in a community of people with the same goal, That's when things begin to happen. We have so much more results from that. When we pursue Christ in the body of Christ, through the power of Christ, transformation begins to happen. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this. We'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Can you see the dynamic of spiritual formation and maturity that happens when we're involved with God in that endeavor together? And that's the power of biblical community. And so here at Twin Cities Church, one of the main ways that we experience community is through community groups. Now, community groups are groups of 8 to 15 people or so who meet during the week in various homes throughout our area. And they're part of God's plan to care for us, to help us grow spiritually, to bless us, and to extend our influence throughout the world. Now, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 2 and see how God's plan for the church reestablishes his original design for us to live in this community with him and with one another. All right? Now, before we even get to Acts 2, I want to kind of catch us up with a little bit of background history, okay? So Jesus died on the cross. He was taken down. He was put into a tomb. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he had conquered sin and death. 
he went to his disciples and began to talk to them about the kingdom of God. And as, just before he ascended back into heaven, he was around for about 40 days, seen by hundreds of people. And before he went back into heaven, he told them, the disciples, to go into an upper room and to wait there and to pray. And so they did that, and they waited and they prayed. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And so on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and he came with power. And it blew the disciples away. And they went out into the streets and they started to exclaim how incredible God was. And all of these pilgrims that had come for the Feast, the feast of Pentecost from all over the area, they heard these disciples um, giving praises to God in their native languages from all over. And it baffled them that this miraculous thing had happened. And it's at that moment that the apostle Peter stood up and began to tell them that all this was possible through the man Jesus Christ who gave himself for their sin, who was ready to restore their relationship with God. And right there on that day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Now, that's a preacher's dream right there. <laughs> I mean, to preach a sermon and have three people receive Jesus Christ. I mean, that's incredible. That's Billy Graham type of stuff. But what that dream in the beginning also turned into sort of a nightmare, if you can imagine, 3,000 people. How are they going to care for all those people? How are they going to keep them connected in community? And so Luke here in chapter 2 begins to tell us what that looked like, showing us how they met together in large gatherings in the temple courts, and then they would go into homes and meet in smaller communities to support one another. And it's from this biblical example that we model our own community groups. So we're going to take a look here at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we see that in community groups, first, number one, we grow spiritually by studying God's word. By studying God's word. There's um, one primary way that God speaks to us, and that's through his word, the Bible. You see, before the New Testament was written, God spoke directly to the people through his disciples, also known as the apostles. And we see this in Acts 2.42, that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, it's important to um, kind of point out here that these apostles are this, the same people that we read in our Bibles today. In fact, when they got together later to assemble the New Testament, that was the one litmus test. The way that things got into the Bible is that it had to be written by an apostle or someone completely, or completely connected to an apostle like one of their apprentices. And that's how we got our New Testament today. And so these people were taught in the temple courts, and then they would go home into the homes, go, go into these homes together, and they would begin to review what they learned and then apply it to their personal lives. And these early disciples were deeply committed to hearing, studying, and obeying the Word of God. And it's from this we can kind of see that the truth that when we read our Bible, you know, we get information. But when we apply it and submit our lives to it, that's when we get transformation. And that's part of our spiritual growth. So number two, uh, we're also, we mature our faith by strengthening one another. By strengthening one another. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, discovered that, you know, you, I, for me, I tend to be more consistent in my spiritual habits when I've got somebody there encouraging me. That helps me a lot. And that's what we call fellowship. And so that's another thing we see in Acts 2.42b, that they devoted themselves to fellowship. 
So fellowship is the spiritual practice of motivating and encouraging each other toward holiness, faithfulness, and expressions of God's love. And we can see this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 24 and 25. It says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So this word fellowship here, in the original language that it was written in, which was Greek, it's the word koinonia, and maybe some of you have heard that before. Koinonia means like partnership or sharing. You know, it's this whole idea that this grace that we've received from God, we give it away to others. It's an uncommon type of sharing. Got a great example of an uncommon type of sharing. Uh, Again, down in Southern California, my wife and I, we were at Dana Point Harbor, and we're walking our dog. We went to an ice cream shop, picked up a couple ice cream cones. We're enjoying our ice cream cones. There's several other people that had ice cream as well. And so this one lady takes her ice cream cone, and she offers it to my dog. And so the dog's licking the ice cream cone. I'm thinking, oh, great. Well, she's probably, you know, throwing that away and, you know, kind of weird, but whatever. Well, she picks it up, and she starts to eat it herself after that. I mean, that is an uncommon level of sharing. Too much. (laughs) So Paul gives us an example of, of gracious sharing in Colossians 3, 12 through 15. He says this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender heart and mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. See, fellowship isn't so much about, you know, togetherness. But it's about connectedness that comes out of our vital connection with God. I don't know about you, but when I tend to be closely connected to God and do work to make that happen, I tend to be connected to other people. Number three, we experience connection, support, and unity. Um, I I don't know if you've ever noticed that as you read stories about Jesus and the different things that he did, the special sermons that he made, you know, it's very common for him to be doing two things. One of them was walking around, you know, he'd walk around and talk and and share or he'd meet people. The other thing was eating. You know, you think about, you know, the feast and you think about the Lord's Supper and different times that he'd be eating. And so it's no big surprise here that this is something that we see in this next verse here in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So these early followers, they would get together and they'd share meals together. You know, it's kind of the beginning of what we commonly know today as the church potluck, right? <laughs> Only back in those days, they called it an agape feast or a love feast, which is a really beautiful name. Um, but we don't hear that too much anymore because I think people may get the wrong idea. <laughs> hey, I heard there's a love feast going on at Twin Cities Church. <laughs> Might boost attendance or something. I don't know. <laughs> so at the end of this meal that they had together, where they'd share their food, share the, the time together, they would gather together for communion. And this was a time of remembrance and reflection. 
It was a time of self-examination and purging of sin. And it was a time to thank the risen Lord Jesus for all he'd done for them and just to be there in his presence. It also says that they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, Jesus had promised his disciples in John 14, 13, he said this, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. The early church seized on Jesus's words and they took all of their needs and concerns to God in prayer. In our community groups, we also, these are places where we enjoyed food and friends, and we also have a chance to share our thoughts and our hurts and our needs together in prayer and to pray for one another. Number four is that we enjoy the presence and power of God. When God's people live in unity, His presence and power become evident. It's interesting that in the book of, of Acts, in the first five chapters, there are over 10 different occurrences where they talk about them being in one heart and one mind, and they were together, and they were united over and over again. You can't get the power of the book of Acts without the unity in the book of Acts. Acts 2.43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. The word awe here, um, it's more than sort of, you know, when we go to the fireworks at 4th of July and everybody's like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. The word for awe here is the word phobos, the Greek word phobos, which refers to sort of this, this, this fearful reverence that recognizes the work of God and the presence of God. Luke uses this same word phobos in Acts 5, 5 and 5, 11, to describe the people's reaction when Ananias and Sapphira fell dead after they tried to deceive the apostles is this recognition that God is here. God's presence and power were tangible. And, and God allowed his apostles to do miracles to validate that what they were saying and their teaching was true and from him. Now, most likely in your community groups, you're not going to see someone risen from the dead. <laughs> I mean, if you do, please invite me. I'd like to be a part of that. <laughs> but what God does tell us is that when we are adopted into God's family, he gives each of us a spiritual gift. And that through that gift, he ministers to one another. It's not a gift for us, but it's a gift for others that he uses his power to minister to the other people in that group. And so through that, when we use our spiritual gifts we find that God's power and presence are very near. Five, we also share and serve together. Um, when the Spirit fills our hearts, He also opens our hands, and we begin to love, and we begin to put others in front of ourselves and learn to serve. I love this verses here, uh, Acts 2, 44 and 45. All, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. Now, if you remember back after Peter preached, you know, all of these pilgrims from all over the land, they, they made decisions for Christ. And many of them wanted to stick around there in Jerusalem, grow their Christian faith, be part of this new work that God was doing. 
And so they just showed up. On top of that, there were many of um, Jewish uh, converts that when they professed Christ, they lost their professions, they were thrown out of families, and they were destitute. In addition to that, they were just poor people that needed to be taken care of. And it's fascinating that the community of believers took people in, brought them into their homes, sold property, sold position, possessions in order to help out those that were in need. They took care of their brothers and sisters. And I know many of you in this room have served the people in your community group as well. And that when someone is, is sick or when someone is in the hospital, you've cooked and brought meals to them. Some of you have fixed cars. Some of you have paid mortgage payments when someone's out of work. Some of you have watched people's children. Some of you have walked through the incredible loss of a family member and been there by someone's side. You see, you've been there to celebrate life's greatest moments and journey together through life's deepest difficulties. But when we do this together, you see, life's heartaches are half as hard and life's triumphs are two or three times as sweet. Now, last, in number six, we impact the world around us. We also impact the world around us. Acts 2, 46 and 47, great verses. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, it says here that they were enjoying the goodwill of the people around them. See, these early believers were having a huge impact on their whole community. They were still going to the temple, and they were showing their transformed lives in front of people. They were sharing about their Christian faith with others. They were meeting in homes and talking to their neighbors it demonstrated that they had this huge transformational impact. And, and one of the ways that, that, that I think exemplifies this, this is so fascinating. Listen to what Aristides had to say. He's a Greek philosopher in the early second century. And this is what he said about the Christians of his day. It's from a document called the Apology. Now the Christians, O king, by going about and seeking, have found the truth. For they know and trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth. From him they receive the commandments which they have engraved on their minds and which they observe in the hope and expectation of the world to come. For this reason, they do not commit adultery or immorality. They do not bear false witness or embezzle. They do not covet what is not theirs. They honor father and mother and do good to those who are their neighbors. Those who oppose them, they exhort and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored, and they rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has give to, gives to him who has not, ungrudgingly and without boasting. And when the Christians find a stranger, they bring him into their home and rejoice over him as a true brother. When one of their poor passes away from the world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear of any of their number who are imprisoned or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, they all provide for his needs, and if it's possible to redeem him, they set him free. If they find poverty in their midst, they do not spare, and they don't have spare food, they fast 
for two or three days in order that the needy might be fed. Every morning and every hour, they praise and thank God for his goodness to them. Such, O king, is the commandment given to the Christians, and such is their conduct. Wow, I am so moved by that. Can you imagine if that was the reputation of Christians in America today? Can you imagine the influence that we would have with people? You see, Aristides was so moved by this biblically functioning community that he gave his life to Christ. It says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Every day these people were getting together. They were meeting together in homes. They were sharing every day in their neighborhoods. They were having a huge impact on their world around them. And it's because of them that we're even here today. Now, I'm a realist. <laughs> and I realize that what those early Christians, you know, experienced is, is probably, you know, very special. And maybe not completely realistic for us today. But as much of a, as I'm a realist, I'm also um, sort of an idealist. <laughs> I tend to lean more toward being an idealist. And I believe in the power of God. I believe in His Word. And I truly hope for and pray for and long for a type of community like those early Christians had. And one thing I do know is this, that you cannot grow spiritually unless you're connected relationally. And so here's my dream, my hope for you, is that if you're out there and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, my hope is that you'll discover what I discovered 30 years ago, and that's the joy and freedom that comes from having your sins forgiven, taken away and paid for by Jesus and being adopted into God's family. That is a gift that God is willing and to give to you freely if you just receive it. And for those of you who are not yet in a community group, um, my encouragement is just to go check it out. Just to go give it a try. You know, our winter quarter of small groups or community groups that we're doing right now, it's eight weeks long. I mean, you can live through that, you know. <laughs> You know, maybe you had some sort of a bad experience at, one, so, at, at some point in time. I mean, you probably had a bad haircut at one point in time, too, um, but you didn't give up on that, right? Um, we've got a great community groups table out there with some balloons on it and just a way of celebrating you moving from rows into circles and taking a step of faith and maybe seeing what God wants to do from that. And last, for those of you who are in a community group, I just want to challenge you to dream and long for a deeper sense of community in your group, whatever that looks like, that we would pray for that together. So let's pray. Lord God, um, we are inspired and we are in awe that just to consider what you intended for us when you first made us and that, was that we would be in deep community, connection relationally with you and with one another. Just a taste of that, Lord, God, gives us such incredible hope. And Lord, we all know we, we, we wrestle with, with sin and, and understand how it's broken down those relationships, God. But we invite you, God, and depend on you to bring us together through your grace. To help us experience a deeper connection with you and with one another and to live in that joy. 
and to be so filled up with love, God, that it would just flow out and influence the people around us. That would be such an incredibly awesome thing, but we would believe that from an incredibly awesome God. So we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.